0: Bible Fellowship Bible Instruction Time. We now turn you over to our speaker for the day. Our speaker today, Brother Bill Lumsden, has been in fellowship here as long as I can remember, and we're very happy to have him this morning to share God's Word. So Bill, we're going to invite you up to do that at this time. Well, I'm glad to be here this morning. And as George Burns said, at my age, I'm glad to be anywhere. I'm sure that Ed would attest to that if he was here this morning. Ed and I graduated from high school in 1948. That's when, long before most of you were born, I'm sure, that's when they used to teach penmanship and citizenship in school. And if you looked around really hard, you might find a drugstore or a gas station open on Sunday. We called them drugstores in those days. Uh, And the guy behind the desk was the druggist. (laughs) Things have changed a lot, haven't they? (laughs) About every week I mention to Rosemary that I'm glad we're the age we are. It's hard to see the United States of America going down on a downward trend. And you'd have to be my age, I guess, to see how great a decline there has been. So, seems also that any effort to bring the U.S. back to the glory age is snuffed out quickly. Make America Great Again didn't last very long, did it? Well, this morning, I want to talk about the subject of prayer. Usually, I would start with a premise or a point and proceed with comments in an effort to produce some evidence that would support or prove that premise. But today, I simply want to discuss the subject of prayer Make some comments about it and leave it up to you to determine the value, if any, of those comments without trying to prove anything. First of all, does God really answer prayer? There are those who feel that God is omniscient and all-knowing and as such He doesn't really respond to our prayers because He already has a plan. And everything already worked out. If that's the case, and it may be, then why does the Bible urge us to pray as it does in James chapter 5, verse 16? I want to read that to you. James chapter 5, verse 16. Confess your faults one to another and pray one for another that you may be healed and the effect of fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Here we find that prayer availeth or profits much. And if it profits us, it it must be a good thing. But why is prayer good for us? Can it actually change God's mind in our favor? And then does does God ever change his mind? On the one hand, the Bible declares that God never changes his mind. Let's look at Numbers. Numbers chapter 23 and verse 19. God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Repent here means change his mind. Hath he said and shall he not do it? Or hath he spoken and shall he not make it good? Now let's turn over to, Math, uh, to uh, Malachi. And uh, I want to read a verse there Malachi chapter 3 and verse 6. For I am the Lord, I change not. Therefore, ye sons of, jo- of Jacob are not consumed. I guess he means if, if I change my mind, you'd all be gone. Those scriptures would certainly lead you to believe that God does not change his mind. I want to turn over to James chapter 1 and verse 17. Every good and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights with whom is no variableness nor shadow of turning, not even a shadow of changing his mind or turning. Now, those scriptures would certainly lead you to believe that God never changes his mind, wouldn't they? However, on the other hand, there are passages that seem to indicate that God does change his mind. Let's turn over to, to Exodus chapter 32. If I'm going too fast and you haven't got the time to look these up, don't worry about it. They're really there. <laughs> Exodus chapter 32. And I want to read verses 9 through 14. Exodus 32 verses 9 to 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, I have seen this people, and behold, it is a stiff-necked people. Now therefore let me alone, that my wrath may wax hot against them, and that I may consume them, and I will make of thee a great nation. And Moses besought the Lord his God, and said, Lord, why would thy wrath wax hot against thy people? which thou hast brought forth out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand. Wherefore should the Egyptians speak and say, For mischief he did bring them out to slay them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth. Turn from thy fierce wrath and repent of this evil against thy people. Drop down to 14. And the Lord repented of the evil which he thought to do unto his people. With human thought, if you knew the end results of every situation, no matter what it might be, the only reason you would ever change your mind if you'd made the wrong decision in the first place. Could it mean in Exodus 32 that God had decided he was wrong in choosing Abraham and making a people for his uh, for his namesake, and that his posterity would show would uh, and that he would make a a name for himself out of his posterity, and should now correct that mistake by destroying them. It does seem that way, doesn't it? But I have a problem with that with that thinking, quite honestly. Let's turn over to Jonah. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. Jonah chapter 3, verse 10. And God saw their works, that they had turned from their evil way, And God repented of the evil that he had said that he would do unto them, and he did it not. Boy, those are some powerful verses, aren't they? Uh, In one respect, God never changes. In another, it seems that God changes his mind often. Jesus knew more about prayer than any other person on earth. And he seemed to be praying in chapter 39 of Matthew, Matthew 26, verse 39. Here's what the Lord says. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O oh, my Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Was the Lord asking his father to change his mind? The explanation for these seemingly contradictory instances may be explained by what is often referred to as God's perfect will and his permissive will. God's perfect will are those things that God has decreed that will never change. Creation is an example. In Genesis verse 22 of chapter 8, God says, While the earth remaineth, seed time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night shall not cease. None of these things have ever changed in my lifetime, and I have reason to believe that they never will. Jesus' crucifixion is another example. Chapter 13 and verse 8 of of, uh, Revelation. Chapter 13. And verse 8. And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. It appears that the crucifixion of the Lord Jesus was decreed before the earth was ever put in place. Now let's read First Peter, chapter one, and I'll read verses eighteen to twenty. For as much as ye knew, know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was ordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. God had determined before the earth was ever put in place that the Lord Jesus would come and give his life that we might have life eternal. And then there's Jesus' second coming. How thankful we should be to know that that event will not change. The last promise that the Bible gives us in chapter 22, verse 20 of Revelation simply says this. The second of the last verse. In the whole scripture, whole Bible, he which testifies these things says, Surely I come quickly. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. So we see that there are things that just will not change. However, God's permissive will allows man to change in all kinds of ways. God has given free will to man and permits us to follow the dictates of our heart, whatever they may be, and that leads us in all kinds of directions. His permissive will therefore allows us to change, as he as he often and he often uses our sin for his purposes. Back in uh, Genesis chapter 50, I want to read a verse there. Verse 20 in Genesis chapter 50. Joseph is talking to his brothers and he says, but as for you, you thought it evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring to pass as it is this day to save much people alive." <clears throat> so here God uses the sin of these brothers for his own purpose. If we were to take a quick review of the verses w- which we previously read, that would indicate, seemingly, that God changed his mind, we quickly learn that it was man that did the changing. When I think of change, I'm reminded of an experience of my own. My middle son, Greg, was desperately ill, lying in a hospital bed on life support because he'd taken too much Tylenol. Incidentally, Tylenol is kind of a dangerous drug. I was at his side, and the doctors on duty during the day suggested that I withdraw him from... Life support, because he'd always be a vegetable if he were to survive. So after much thought, I agreed and took him off life support. However, however, when the night shift doctors came in, they asked me, why would I do such a thing? It was his only chance to survive. So I put him back on life support. In the morning, the day shift doctors were upset at what I had done, so at their urging, with the apparent knowledge that he would never be the same, I removed him from life support. This actually happened. The nice ship came in and presented their view, so I again put him back on life support. Of course, I was praying for his recovery. However, with no real faith, I was changing direction two or three times a day. There was, however, a dear aged passer and his wife who were praying earnestly for Greg's recovery with with the obvious faith that I never had. The next morning I came in. I was surprised to find Greg sitting up in bed and calling out, Hi, Dad, as I came in. One of the doctors requested that I allow them to produce an article about Greg for an upcoming symposium because they had never had a patient survive when all of his organs were in the process of shutting down. They stated that it was certainly supernatural intervention. Today, over 30 years later, Greg is a strong, physically fit man in his late 50s. Perhaps we need to consider that we're urged to pray for the purpose of changing us, not God. I'm sure God all along knew how things would turn out, and it was me that was doing the changing. The Lord presented a parable in Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. Perhaps I'll read that. Luke chapter 18. 1 to 5. I've always misunderstood this until recently. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 5. And he spake a parable unto them, and to this end, that men ought always to pray and not faint. This is the Lord Jesus talking Men should always pray and not faint, saying, There was in a city a judge which feared not God, neither regarded man. And there was a widow in that city, and she came unto him saying, Avenge me of my adversary, and he would not for a while. But afterward... He said within himself, Though I fear not God nor regard man, yet because his widow troubleth me, I will avenge her, lest by by her continued coming she wearies me. I always thought the Lord was saying we should keep on begging God for a positive response. That's That's not what it's about at all. This was an unjust judge. We have the opposite kind of judge, and the Lord tells us in verse 8 that he will respond speedily. Nevertheless, will we have faith? Does God answer prayer, or does he know the end and what it will be and is waiting for us to get on board with his thoughts concerning the end result. In other words, does God change or is it us that does it changing? As I mentioned at the beginning of this message, I simply am making comments and I'm presenting a point that I'm trying for you to prove one way or the other. Back to the question, does God answer prayer? I suppose each one of us has a different reason for answering that question, one way or the other. But let, you, let me give you one of mine. <clears throat> I was flying from Detroit to Drummond Island, which is about an hour and a half by plane, to pick up the boss that I had at that time and his wife and bring them back to the Detroit area, and I ran into a terrible thunderstorm. The plane was bouncing up and down with updrafts and downdrafts, lightning flashing all over. The rain was so dense, I could see absolutely nothing out of the windshield. There are no windshield wipers on small airplanes. And I could see absolutely nothing. It was just complete water, complete blanked out. And I felt that probably ought to land and get out of this thing. In that upper part of Michigan, the trees are so dense that there are very few open spots to land. I spotted a, a small field out of, out of my side window and decided that I would try to get down. And looking out of that side window... I turned and made an approach to that little field, and I remember distinctly that during that turn, in extreme fear and desperation, I shouted, God help me! And then plunk, I was down and stopped just like that. I actually, and I remember this very specifically, I reached over and pinched myself because I thought, am I really here or, or am I gone? The rain was still coming down in torrents. And when it ended, I got out and looked around. I was in a little bog. And that had stopped the plane just in front of a fence. That would have created a big problem. And then I got out and looked around and I had landed on the upside and downside of a little hill. And further observation showed me that the wheels of that plane had touched down 10 feet to the side of a big pile of rocks, apparently put there by a farmer that was clearing the land. Wow, wasn't that lucky. Now, how do I get out of this swamp? Beside that pile of rocks lay about eight old boards And that was all, just eight old boards, about a foot wide and 16 feet long. I don't remember in my lifetime ever seeing a 12-inch board 16 feet long. And there was about eight or ten of them laying there. That was all. Well... I grabbed one of them and brought it down to the plane and set it alongside the wheel, kind of like that. And then I went out to the edge of the plane, lifted up by the wingship, and lifted the plane up and that board fell under the wheel. And then I put the rest of them along (coughs) in a line to get me out of that uh, bog. (coughs) And... I was able to taxi back to solid ground. You know, I thought about that pile of rocks. What if I had been just 10 feet to the right? Now again, I couldn't see anything. What if I had been 10 feet to the left? I'd have hit that pile of rocks, and that would have been the end. Let's suppose there wasn't a bog there. And I'd gone right on down that hill into the fence. That would have been the end. <laughs> well, let's suppose that the that uh, I'd made it that far. Now I'm stuck in a swamp in northern Michigan. And what if there weren't any boards there? I'd still <laughs> be stuck in that swamp. Well, I wondered... If God had long ago placed those boards there for me, well, how do I get back in the air? I taxied up a little hill and found a wagon trail that led back to a road, and and I thought, well, I'll get out on that road and and I can take off. But there was a lock there, a gate, and a fence, and I couldn't get out. And there was this wagon trail that led down, but it turned. And if you know anything about flying, you don't take off on a runway and then turn sideways. And uh, I was probably miles from any home or any place that I could make a phone call. And they were waiting for me to pick them up on Drummond Island. I was a pretty important guy, my boss. Well, somehow... I went down that, that wagon trail, and I actually turned that plane and, and got in the air. I have no idea. To this day, when I think about it, it sends cold shields up my spine. I looked down at that little field from the air. There was no way, no way that I would have ever made a safe landing on that little tiny field with rocks of, uh, in the it just it couldn't have happened. Well, I didn't have time to have faith that morning, I just simply cried out for help. And I believe to this day that somebody was guiding that plane, it must have been because I couldn't see out the windshield. I'm surprised I even got to the ground. Someone was guiding that plane, and it couldn't have been me. When I wonder about whether God answers prayer, I remind myself of Greg and that day that I took a very scary plane ride. Perhaps the reason we're encouraged to pray is because it helps us to trust God more. It certainly keeps us in communion with our Heavenly Father, doesn't it? You know, we've trusted Him to save us. Why wouldn't we trust Him to answer our other prayers in the same way? I've heard that there's only one prayer that God hears from a sinner And that's a prayer asking forgiveness. I'm not sure I believe that. But it doesn't matter since there is at least one prayer he hears. And if you're here this morning and don't know the Savior, he'll hear that prayer. It doesn't matter where you are, riding on the back of a motorcycle, speeding down the, in a speedboat someplace, or just sitting here this morning. All you've got to do is ask him to forgive you, and to come into your life, and he'll do the rest. Well, since we seemingly cannot manipulate God, we must trust him to do whatever is right, and not just the way we think, but as the Lord commented, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. Do you remember the comment, Abraham made to God when God told him of his intent to destroy Sodom. He said, Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Surely he always will. If we talk to God in prayer, we need to keep two things in mind. First, he doesn't answer prayer in the way that we prescribe. And often he gives us what we really need and not what we just ask for. Secondly, God seems to frequently give us something better than what we ask for. But most often, it's only with the passing of time that we're able to realize that. Now, in conclusion, I just want to leave you with these three questions for you to decide for yourselves. Does God ever change his mind? Why do you suppose we're urged to pray? And does prayer really do any good? Does God answer prayer? Well, with those questions in mind, let's close in prayer. Father, we understand that we're urged to pray, and although we may not be able to fully comprehend the way or how to pray, we do know that it will keep us in communion with our Heavenly Father, and that alone is reason enough. We are indeed grateful that we have the awesome opportunity to communicate with the greatest of all beings, the creator of all things, and to know that he cares and wants to hear from us on a daily basis. May we understand this at least as we continue our daily lives. Accept our appreciation for who you are, and what you've done in making it possible for us to be forever in your presence. We ask these things as we look forward to your coming again. In the blessed name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.